Hi, survivors. This is Annie Allen. And of course, you are listening to the Starting Over Stronger Divorce Survival and Recovery Podcast, where we bring you professional interviews, chats with life coaches and personal survivor stories, all to bring you the life preservers of help and hope that you need as you navigate the rough waters of divorce. Today is going to be no exception. I know personally that the prospect of a divorce is incredibly stressful for the spouse who has been out of the workforce for a considerable amount of time. And if if you're like me, it may have seemed to make sense to stay home during the marriage. But what I learned way later than I wish I had was that it put me at a significant disadvantage once the realization came that the marriage was irretrievably broken. I had to live upstairs and navigate two worlds, the can we still fix this world and the how can I make it on my own world. And I had to determine how to return to work after my divorce to create some kind of substantive existence for myself. If this is you, stay tuned. You're about to find out many more options exist than it probably currently feels like. Welcome to the Starting Over Stronger Show, where you'll find help and hope for your divorce survival and recovery. Divorce well, live well. Today's guest is Christine Scahan. Christine is a vocational consultant and certified vocational rehabilitation counselor. Her knowledge of vocational concepts is the reason I invited her on the show today. Hi, Christine. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yes. And I have had a couple of very enlightening conversations with Christine, learning exactly what it is that she does as a vocational consultant and who benefits from her services. And what I really discovered was that my listening audience is who I think is going to benefit from it at this point in time. So stay tuned for some eye-opening information, especially if you've been unemployed or underemployed, uh, supporting your family for most of your marriage. And I think what we're going to give you today is going to really help during that process. So uh, I've introduced the listeners to you, Christine, and we are ready to hear all about you and, and how you tailor your approach in unique ways for each person that you assist. So listeners, as I mentioned, if you're trying to figure out how you're going to provide for yourself as you divorce, I think you're going to like what you have to hear today. So start uh, just by telling us a little bit about yourself, Christine. Well, I've been a vocational rehabilitation counselor now for over 20 years. Um, I have my master's degree in counseling. I was actually started out as a therapist and then I moved into vocational rehabilitation and counseling. Actually, my father was a voc rehab counselor and guided me in that direction. I started out my career working in Overland Park, Kansas for the state of Kansas as a voc rehab counselor there. Stayed there for five years, helped a variety of people. I typically carried a caseload from about 150 to 180 people, job placement, job coaching, job development, you know, vehicle home modifications for anybody that needed those with disabilities, moved into a corporate position for seven years and worked for Assurance Employee Benefits. And they administer long-term and short-term disability products. And I would do all of the in-house vocational research to ensure that the uh, claimants continued to meet the definition of those guidelines. We also had a voc rehab team there that I supported and helped develop voc rehab plans for 
During my time in corporate, I expanded over into doing social security expert testimony for their disability program as a contractor. So I worked uh, simultaneously with corporate and also doing the testimony on the side for social security disability expanded my practice, left corporate and moved out into self-employment and then um, had the good fortune to meet up with another older vocational expert that was kind of phasing out and wanting to retire. So he taught me how to do evaluations for actually divorce cases, workers' compensation and personal injuries. So I subcontracted with him for three years Um, We parted on good ways. He retired. And then I've just continued to expand my business into other areas such as medical malpractice, um, again, personal injury. And I actually help with long-term disability appeals, job placement, resume assistance, social media marketing, basically anything a person would need to try to get back into the workforce. And that's what I've been doing as a self-employed individual since 2013. Okay, very good. Well, thank you. What about divorce? Has it personally touched your life? Um, Not personally um, for myself, but I've definitely had a lot of friends and family that have been through this process. And I've been involved in probably about 17 divorce cases to date since I've been self-employed. So I have a lot of experience um, understanding that process and, and the needs for vocational assistance during during that process of a divorce. Yeah, well, that's good. And it's appreciated. So thank you again for being here. And uh, what we're going to talk about today, obviously, listeners, is what it takes to start over or restart a career as you go through a divorce. Um, it can be very overwhelming and it can feel impossible at times, but it's not. And so we're just going to kind of break down uh, from start to finish and get some excellent tips uh, to get you going down the road to reemployment. So first things first, Christine, what would you say is the first step for the listener here today who has either just filed for divorce or is thinking about filing or was just served papers and she does not have an established or self-sustaining career, you know, and I suppose that's even true for those rare stay-at-home dads, but what is the best first step? I think just recognizing and understanding that having a vocational evaluation and an assessment of your your skills and what the possibilities are is even an option for you. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, in my experience with that, I've I've worked for men and women. You know, they've I've had stay at home dads, I've had stay at home moms. Um, mostly, the person that is working that has had the spouse that stayed home is typically the person hiring me to evaluate their spouse who's been home for you know twenty, thirty years, whatever the situation is. Mm-hmm. I would hope that we could move more towards the direction that the stay-at-home moms and even dads in some cases would be more inclined to hire us to take that step to say, hey, I need some help. I don't know what direction to go and not just sit back and just wait on the next thing to happen, which is a lot of times the the spouse that's been working, hiring us to come in. It doesn't really change my approach and my methodology, but I just would like for your listeners to know that, hey, this is an option for you. And it's not just to say, hey, this individual can earn this and then they don't need maintenance. This can actually be a process for them to understand like there's there are steps to get back into the workforce and we can help you outline those steps and come up with a vocational rehabilitation plan that's realistic that literally lays out the step-by-step process for the person wanting to go back to work or somebody that needs to go back to work. Yeah. So it sounds like your ideal client is the person who's, you know, probably listening here today, the person whose career is lacking or needing re, you know, established or what have you. 
Exactly. That's where the greatest need is. Um, a lot of people, you know, in, in different situations have given up their careers. They may have a bachelor's degree or even in some cases a master's degree, but they haven't utilized it for 20 plus years. Maybe they don't want to do that anymore. Maybe they want to do something completely different or maybe they do want to go back and do that, but they really don't know the steps that they need to take for maybe getting back into that occupation, relicensing. Maybe they have to go back and take some continuing education or additional classes to get back up to today's standards for certification. That's where we can come in. We can do that research for you. We can you know, do some counseling and guidance and talk to you about the different options that are out there and really try to get a snapshot of you know, where have you been and where do you want to go? I don't care if I'm hired by the husband or the wife. I don't care who the respondent is or who the petitioner is. I listen to the individual that I'm interviewing to ensure that I understand what they want. I tell people, even if I'm hired by a spouse that has been working and I'm evaluating the individual that has not been working, I tell them, this is your opportunity to let me be your voice in court. Let me explain to the judge not only what you have done, what you could do right now, but also maybe put together a training plan for you if you want to go back to school, run the numbers on it, find out what it's going to cost, how long would it take you to do it? What is a realistic time frame after that for you to get back into the, the workforce you know, with a realistic time frame for job placement and uh, social media marketing and all the things that you have to do in today's uh, market to get back into work. Yeah, right. Well, what do you feel is your greatest value to your clients? What do you bring that they're not maybe going to get otherwise? I'm a resource broker. I'm telling you, if you ask me a question and I don't know the answer, I will find you somebody that does know the answer. Mm. One advantage to having a certified rehabilitation counselor on your side, you know, I'm a member of the International Association for Rehabilitation Professionals, and we have a listserv. And there are thousands of vocational experts on this listserv. So we can post questions anytime or if, if there's somebody that contacts me and they're out of an area that I'm, you know, that I can travel to to work in, mm-hmm. I will find you somebody to work with you. Yeah. I have connections all over the country. I have resources that most people don't have access to because I've been been in this field for over 20 years. I know a lot of people and I think that's one advantage that we bring to the table. Yeah, for sure. Well, you sound very passionate about the work you do. What What is the source of your passion, would you say? <laughs> I think everybody has a why. The why factor is what I call it. You know, what drives you? I think I've I've been through a lot of struggles in my life trying to figure out, you know, where do I want to go? What do I want to do? My dad helped me guide me into this actual specific vocational counseling field. I got in the door, but then it was it was a lot of you know, not painful experiences, but just a lot of fumbling and bumbling through like, what do I want to do and what's out there? And, you know, I'd, I'd like to help people just cut through all of that struggle and say, look, here are your options. It's a big time saver. I'm not saying I would change anything about the way that I started my career and where I got here. But, you know, it's one of those things, if I knew then what I know now, I probably could have done some things a little bit Mm -hmm. easier or, you know, maybe fewer struggles is what I'm trying to say. So I really like to help people try to get to their goals as quickly as possible. And I know ways to kind of like, let me guide you around all these problem areas that you really don't need to wade through those murky waters because I know a better way for you. Yeah. And so that that's what I re- that's my why. I really enjoy helping people the efficiency factor, 
And here's the reality too. When a person is going through a divorce, let's just say it's a stay-at-home mom and she's been out of the workforce for 20 plus years. And that's where I see all the time in these cases, in the divorce cases, there is a huge level of fear on their part. Mm -hmm. They have had an agreement with their spouse. They stayed home. They raised kids. That has all changed. And so they don't know what's next. Well, if you have somebody that does know the options, we can help you say, hey, we know you're scared. I know this is difficult, but this is what's next for you. These are, the, these are five different options for what's next. So that also drives me to be able to help alleviate those fears and just put some concrete things out in front of people to let them know that, hey, you're going to be okay Yes, this is going to be uphill and it's going to be hard, but it's something that you can do. And that's that's my driver. That's my why. Mm -hmm. I love to help people in that way. Yeah. And I mean, fear of the unknown is very powerful. And it sounds like the work that you do helps to alleviate that because you're providing the resources they need to know that there are options. But I think it goes even deeper than that. I know for me, you know, it got into my psyche, my my self-esteem, my self-worth. The, the work that we do in the world has a great effect on who we are as a person and how we feel that we contribute to the world at large. And so when you're, you know, I think even if you weren't getting a divorce, and you, you know, your kids had grown up and all of a sudden you have this realization, what am I going to do with the rest of my life now that I'm done raising kids? You know, I think so often what happens in divorce is we're having all of those things are happening at once. Our kids are growing up, our marriage is falling apart, and we don't know what we're going to do for work, you know, to be substantive for ourselves for the rest of our lives. And it's like this giant hairball that <laughs> you're trying to kind of dissolve for people, basically, and just to provide the information they need to know that there are options. Um, you alluded to, though, earlier that you, you know, you could be hired by either spouse or either attorney. What does that look like in each scenario? Are the spouses hiring you to try to prove that they can make money on their own so they don't have to pay alimony? Or is it just, are you just a resource that's just trying to put numbers in place to inform decisions or what? Oh, no, I have to be honest. I mean, this is going to mostly be about alimony. I mean, that's yeah. what it's going to be about. I mean, I'm not yeah. going to sugarcoat that. But what I tell people, I mean, some people have greater earning capacities than other. I've had people hire and they're like, you know, go evaluate this person. Well, they have a high school diploma. <laughs> you know, their their options are pretty limited. You know, I can tell you exactly what I think they can do right now, but I can also test them. I can I can do achievement academic testing with individuals and say, hey, you know, this this person tested above high school. The reality is they could probably do some type of training. Then mm -hmm. I can also provide some interest testing to them. You know, what are your interests? Maybe you don't know at this point, but I can help you kind of work down through those different choices. And hey, what, you know, I, I usually start out, what was your dream job when you were younger, before you got married and had kids and decided you were going to stay home? There had to be something that you were interested in. You know, let's talk about it. I can test them. I can help come up with different ideas. And then once you narrow down some different ideas, you can say, well, here's your options. If you do option A, it's going to be a one-year vocational training program. You know, option B is going to be a four-year college degree. You're looking at four to five years in college, and, and then we can lay out the cost for you. So it's, mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of the process that I take. You got to start from where, where the starting point is with each individual. But yeah, I mean, this is definitely going to be about 
what can this person do? But just because there's often a mistake out there by a lot of people who hire us, they think that just because somebody has a degree and is 20 years old, you know, they can go out and earn X amount of dollars. Well, it's, it's not that clear cut. I mean, we have to look at, you know, because here's a, here's a perfect example. What if somebody worked in IT and they have a degree in information technology from 20 years ago? Nothing is up to date. Their skills are very dated. You know, things happen over the years, but, you know, technology evolves, things happen in the career fields. And Mm -hmm. it's our job to stay up to date on those and make sure that it's like, hey, you know, yeah, they could go back and do this occupation, but they're going to have to go back and take all these classes. They're going to have to take some computer classes and here's where they can take them and here's the cost. So instead of just, just relying on somebody throwing out a number and saying, this is what they can earn. It's like, I lay it out step by step to make it fair to all. And you have the data to back that up. Exactly. I, I don't do anything without doing my research and my homework. I mean, I call I, I call all kinds of licensing boards and, you know, lay out, I'll lay out step by step what the process is as far as like, these are all the steps that they would have to take, the cost involved and the length of time for them to even get their certification. Then you're going to have to allow, you know, six to eight months for actual job searching, you know, based on the, the growth, the economic growth in that particular occupation. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts to these evaluations that you have to make sure that you cover your bases on all of that. Right. Today's episode is sponsored by Christine Scahan with vocational expert Casey. Strategies for case direction and development, expert witness and testimony for your challenging divorce case. If you're anything like me not too long ago, you've never even heard of a vocational consultant, let alone know how critical their support could be during your divorce case. Christine Scahan has experience as a vocational consultant and counselor with regard to both disability and divorce, having worked in state vocational rehab programs and as a vocational expert witness for decades, you want Christine in your corner when it comes to determining your earning potential and your future career capacity, not to mention all her tools and connections throughout the greater Kansas City area and the nation for helping you launch a career you will love that will more than sustain you as a single woman going forward. She is a certified rehabilitation counselor and her knowledge of vocational disability and divorce concepts allows her to tailor her approach in a unique way for everyone she helps. She will take the time to get to know you, your dreams, goals, and abilities, and then she goes to work helping you determine what career path would be perfect for you. If need be, she will also testify in court with regard to what she's determined to be the truth of your financial and vocational outlook. If you've been a stay-at-home mom and wife for years or underemployed, having foregone the development of a career for any reason during your marriage, you need to have a conversation with Christine. Call her today at 913-209-9035 or visit her website at vocexpertkc.com. That's V-O-C as in short for vocational, expert kc.com. Please tell her that you heard about her on Starting Over Stronger. Now back to the show. And like I said, you you have the data to back these things up. And as such, you, I I guess, are an expert witness in contested litigated cases. What is your role and your goal in those situations? To be fair, I am not a hired gun. If you Mm -hmm. are looking to hire a hired gun, do not call me because my, the data is the data. (laughs) 
Right. <laughs> right. Each each individual has a unique worker profile and it's based on your education, training, computer skills, work history, how long have you been out of the market? Everybody's situation is different. I go in right. and do a fair analysis. I don't care who paid my bill to make sure that what I say can be backed up with data. And you know, don't get me wrong, I've gone into cases before where I had a, a one recently where somebody hired me and there'd been a, a woman that had stayed home for many years and she was very honest. She's like, I'm not going to work. And I'm like, well, I don't know if that's going to work for you when the <laughs> trial comes out or anything like that. But, you know, we'll, but I can tell you there's other things you could do based on your worker profile. But she was very honest, but it was kind of like she hadn't moved to that acceptance phase yet that the mm -hmm. marriage was over. And, and so you really do have to kind of work with what you have at that time. Right. And there's a lot of emotions going on. But this thing that you described with the IT degree being so dated is is very valid. I mean, in my own divorce case, it came to light that the um, my ex-husband's attorney was trying to assert that my earning potential was equal to or over his. And I hadn't worked for 22 years. <laughs> I had just gotten a bachelor's degree like a few months before the divorce. I didn't have a job. I hadn't had full-time work in all of those years. And he had gotten an IT degree, but he had a career that he'd built over those 22 years, partly because of my dedication to the home and the children that made it possible for him to do that. And our earning potentials were nowhere near the same. But you know, he claimed that I had this bachelor's degree and I'd also gotten a certificate as a counselor a few years prior. So that was, I had more education. So I had more earning potential. And, you know, it was laughable. My attorney was just like, no, that's not even going to be the way that that goes. <laughs> so, but, you know, it happens, unfortunately. <laughs> there, that's an interesting topic, though. I'm going to, because I'm going to roll this back for a minute because. There, there are a lot, a lot of vocational counselors and, and expert witnesses, you know, across the United States. And when you approach this, if you, whether you're the stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, or you're the person hiring the individual, you know, it's very important that you actually pick up the phone yourself, you know, talk to your attorney, come to the agreement, you want to hire somebody, pick up the phone and interview that person, you know, ask them what your qualifications are, what is your style, like, what is your approach to these types of cases? How would you approach my case? I've told you enough about my work history and education, you know, do you have any general thoughts as far as, you know, what, what you think I could or could not do and almost conduct an interview. I mean, a lot of times, especially with women in these cases, there is this tendency to just sit back and let things happen to them. Yeah. You got to get up on your feet and you got to go get the information. If you think about this, I mean, think how powerful this is. This is all about, if you are the person that's being, that's being evaluated, this is all about your life, your current life and your future life. So mm -hmm. to sit back and not actually take an active role in this process with a vocational counselor, and if that counselor does not have a heart, the heart of a teacher, you don't want to work with them. Mm -hmm. Because what they're doing, this is what the judge is going to hear. The judge is going to hear exactly what this counselor says, this expert witness, vocational consultant, whatever that you want to call them. They're going to look at the, the report and they're going to look at the plan. And I don't care who hires who, you better, I would be involved in that process. I would have a say in that process. I would not sit back 
and just let it happen. And that happens too often. But again, you have to make sure the person that you are working with that you click with, and I don't care who hired the individual, you Mm -hmm. have to make sure that you like the person that you get a good feeling about them. And this isn't just something that's happening to you. This is part of the process. And the other thing too, that people don't think about, let's say that you are the stay at home mom, and you've been out of the workforce for 20 years, and your soon to be ex husband makes a lot of money, don't be afraid to ask for the other side to hire somebody and let them pay for it to help you take those steps to get back in the workforce. This isn't just about, I don't want to receive maintenance because you might need maintenance until you can get back up on your feet. That's an attorney question and that's something to work through. But why would you not use that resource to try to do something else with your life and get some help doing it? Yeah, I think the answer to that is that most people don't even know it exists. Unfortunately, I certainly didn't. I just tried to figure it out on my own. I I didn't know there was such thing as a vocational consultant or counselor. So, well, and going back and finding a good expert, you know, I think I've talked to you about this before. There is something, and I want all your listeners to know this. It's called the IARP SSVE white paper, and the white paper is something that each person that hires a vocational consultant should want to look at. It is the minimum qualifications agreed upon by the two largest professional organizations in the United States of vocational experts to which the minimum standards that person should hold. And that's, and it covers education, training, work history, and all of the factors surrounding what an expert witness should look like. So first Mm -hmm. of all, your person needs to meet those guidelines. But let me tell you the second part of why this document is so important. When I go into a trial, I submit this document and I ask the judge to accept it because if the other side does not decide, want to bring in their own vocational expert, then it prevents the other attorney from acting as a vocational expert and submitting evidence that they don't know anything about it. They don't know, really know how the data is collected, where it has come from, and they are not acting to combat the findings of your vocational expert. And I think that's very important to, to know that. I had I had a case once where I had an attorney running down after I te- or I, we went on a break and he's printing off a bunch of stuff from the Bureau of Labor Statistics and coming up and trying to combat some of the things that I had researched and I had presented in my testimony and the judge threw it out. He said, "You're not qualified to act as a vocational expert witness in my court. I accepted the white paper qualifications." So wow. it's a way to make sure that the people that are up there talking about your wage earning capacity know what they are talking about. They have the experience. They know where the data comes from that they're citing in the report. It's a strict methodology and it comes from years of of attention and practice and understanding that type of data. So those are so the, the most important factors in hiring a vocational expert, making sure they're qualified, making sure they meet those white paper minimum qualifications, and really making sure you have a connection with that person. Yeah, and I can't agree with that more. We talk about that all the time on the show and with my divorce coaching clients, um, the interview process, I say no less than two. Uh, I prefer three interviews. And yes, you're going to have to pay for them and they're not cheap. And if somebody offers you one for free, it's worth every dime you pay for it. So yeah, <laughs> go and save up your money and go have those three conversations because that's three hours of legal advice that you're going to get that relate 
specifically to your case and your situation and you're going to click with somebody and and you're going to know probably after three interviews exactly who you want to work with and it's it's a really important decision so it's it can't be understated um, so thank you for bringing that up. And then obviously, you know, if you are lucky enough to work with an attorney who understands the importance of vocational consulting, you will hopefully get connected with someone uh, like Christine or Christine herself. And I want to just kind of frame our the rest of our conversation with some tips that I think work well with the women that I coach. And I'd like to just get your thoughts on each one. The first is a no brainer. We've already been talking about it. Support secure financial support from your spouse. Um, if you have not worked for many years or you've been underemployed for many years, do not cheat yourself out of this or let yourself be cheated out of this. It is fairly owed to you for the sacrifices that were made on your part for the ability uh, to support your family and for your spouse to grow their career. Um, some women I, I, I talk with have a really hard time with this one. They throw in the towel when it gets hard because in a an opposing attorney calls them a greedy pig in writing to their attorney. Ask me how I know about that one. <laughs> um, and this is the number one regret that women have in divorce is giving up on getting what they could and should have gotten in support um, and, and just really setting themselves up for failure in the future financially or struggle, certainly anyway. So I guess if somebody's been a full-time homemaker for most of their marriage and their spouse is gainfully employed, especially if there's a large disparity between what he makes or she makes and what you make, you know, there's a reasonable expectation of being able to make, to make both right out of the gate, right? And even at the height of your career potential, you are not going to necessarily be able to make what this person is making right now. And in that case, you may be eligible for an award of spousal support, which, you know, sometimes you'll hear it called alimony or maintenance, but it's the same thing. And, you know, this is usually paid out biweekly, weekly to provide for the differential between you and uh, what you're what you can make now and what you could have made if you had been developing your career the years that you weren't right. Yes. And is it is designed to help you meet your basic financial needs while you're seeking employment or you're undergoing training or reschooling or just as you build a career over, I would say no less than three years. I've heard as many as as 10 or more years. Um, and, you know, just a, a kind of a loose rule of thumb, I think, is to maybe think about potentially getting half of the number of years that you were married as the maximum uh, years of, of spousal support that you might be able to uh, in, in argue for, I guess. In some cases, the family court may order your spouse to pay for all or part of a retraining program that you need to rejoin the workforce or to include college or certificate programs in there if that's necessary. And, you know, these things just need to be talked about with your attorney, your financial needs, your career prospects, you know, an experienced attorney is going to be able to advise you on your best options and strategies for uh, support based on your budget that you create with your expected living expenses and the reality of what your spouse earns, as well as your current income potential. Uh, that's where you step in, right, Christine? Yes, and okay. I wanted to say a couple of things because you're you're right on everything yeah. that you've said. Yeah. If the worst thing, especially that a woman can do in a, in this type of situation, and I'm talking about a woman that's been out of the workforce, stayed home raising kids, and maybe she has somebody that doesn't want to pay her maintenance, the worst thing that you can do is to do nothing. Mm -hmm. And 
the second thing that you have to, you have to kind of change your mindset. You have to go, and, I, and I'm not trying to discount the, the grief and the anxiety and the fear and all of the other things that go along. You have to tap into that person inside the, in light of fire, and you have to be able to understand at some level that even though your life is changing, this is also a new chapter. You have to look at this as an opportunity. And, you know, the reality is when that, when the ink is dried on the divorce papers and it's done, what has been agreed upon is done. So in this divorce process, when you bring somebody like me in and we are putting together a very comprehensive, well thought out plan and approach this is an opportunity for those women. This is an opportunity to go out and figure out something that you can do that you can support yourself long-term on. Regardless, I'm not saying you're not going to get maintenance at some level, but you got to get in that mindset of what can I what can I do with this opportunity to say, hey, you know what? I do need this maintenance. I need some support for X amount of years. I want to go to school. And then I can say, hey, if you can go to school for, you know, three, four years and, you know, you present that to the judge and then I can say in a seven year time period, this is what I believe she could make regardless of what happens seven years down the road, you might be able to get that maintenance in place to get you through that training program and even get some of that money for the program out of the the maintenance payments and then get you to a place where you can be self-sustainable because you have to have the mindset, I've got to take care of myself now, regardless, because you never want to put all of your eggs in that basket and hope that it turns out the best for you. This is a way to take control of your life. This is a way to take your own power back and say, I'm going to do something that's not only going to make, make it better for me financially, we are all wrapped up. Our self-worth is wrapped up in our careers and what we do. And sometimes when you're, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, your home with the kids and all of a sudden your kids are grown or they're getting to that age where they just don't need you as much anymore. This is an opportunity for you to find something, light the fire, find your passion and do something that makes you happy and change your life in this new chapter. Yeah. And I like how you said that because I I certainly as tip number one being support, the intention is not to create a situation for yourself where you are still 100% dependent upon your now ex-husband or or wife. The the idea is here that you get the support you need uh, if, if it's even a gradual process uh, over a course of years until a point at which you can be self-sufficient. The, the issue that we've run into with this is that you've got women and, and men probably too in, in every stretch from one end to the other of, I don't want to dime from that person to, I refuse to work. We have this agreement that I was going to work, that I was going to stay at home and I'm not going to work, period. Well, you're getting divorced now. You kind of have to do that. You know, like there's, it's all extremes, you know, and the, and it's just such an emotional thing. But the reality is, that there is an expectation on the part of the court that your needs will be met in the immediate years to follow uh, a divorce. You know, in most cases, there's not going to be a situation where unless you just walk away, where you're not going to get the support you need in the short term. But 
obviously the work that you do for people helps in, in so many ways, because tip number two is to really understand your options, explore your options, identify your interests and your abilities and consider some type of retraining if that's necessary. Uh, and one of the things I loved about what you do, Christine, is this sense of exploration because anyone can get a job anywhere that they can land, but it will, will it pay the bills? Will it be fulfilling? Will it sustain them long-term? Do they even want to build a career in that job that they can get right now? I love the concept that before you re-enter the workforce after a long hiatus from it, you want to do some self-exploration and determine what type of job you might actually enjoy. It might not be what you got a degree in years ago. It might not be what you've been doing part-time for years. You know, maybe you'd love to return to the career you had before, which is great unless, like you mentioned, you know, it's an outdated degree that it doesn't hold value or enough value to, you know, be employable at this point in time, 20 years later or what have you. Um, but, you know, you you need to know these things in advance. You have many basic skills and knowledge, no matter whether you have a former degree, a current degree or no degree. Life gives us skills. And this is a season of change, like you mentioned, uh, in your life. And it's an opportunity that you've been given to explore new career paths. Do you have a friend whose job has always appealed to you or a dream job that you've always wondered about? ask to shadow someone or start finding out what it takes to break into that industry. And what other ways do you explore this with clients, Christine? Well, I think the career testing is, is big. I mean, just interest testing and, and going through, you know, a series of questions with them, which I have online testing that I do. And then, but sometimes it's so funny, you can start out with the simplest of questions, you know, what was your childhood dream job? What did you always want to do? What, what's something that you got really close to climbing that mountain to peak it and see what's on the other side, but life got in the way and you didn't do it. Sometimes just prompting those old memories, those old dreams. I mean, starting there, just start simple. This isn't, you know, brain surgery. This is like just going back to the basics of who you were all those years ago and, and what, what were your hopes and dreams. And, and then sometimes things just change. And sometimes revisiting that you go, eh, you know, I don't really want to do that anymore. I did this degree and I thought this was going to be the best thing in my life. And I really realized it was just a really difficult road and I, I didn't want to go down it anymore. And I, I'm thinking about doing something else. I think just having a very good and open conversation to start sometimes will net a lot of information that even they didn't know that they had inside of them about what their hopes and dreams are. And then, you know, moving it forward into a plan. And I think that a lot of a lot of people who've been out of the workforce, they they just don't know where to go. And they, they have it inside them. They just don't have the confidence to act on it. And so that's, I think, again, where we can come in to say, you can do this. You know, this is something that Let's take, let's go and look at all these steps. There's 12 steps you'd have to take, you know, to get into this point of starting this degree and it would take you X amount of time. And knowledge is power. Having a plan is even more powerful. And then when you talk about going into a divorce trial, if you go in there and you have a step-by-step -step 
realistic plan and it involves training because the end result is a career, not a job, mm-hmm. a career judges yeah. like reasonable, you you know, sitting back and saying, I'm not going to do anything and I'm not going to work. Or you walk in and say, look, I do need maintenance. I've got no money, but I have a plan and here's my plan. Which, which one do you think is going to work better for you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they'd like to see that initiative. And, and that looks a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. Um, what I'm wondering is what websites you might recommend for the DIYers who want to begin to gather information to do their own research to understand different types of professions and careers or take skills inventories, if they're not connected with you? You know, go to YouTube. YouTube is, okay. a, is an excellent resource. If you if you're not sure what job that you could do and you're like, I wonder what X job is, go into YouTube and see if you can find a video of the job being performed. Watch a video. What I I worked with a guy recently, he's actually a, a family friend and he he had to do a complete industry change because his industry pretty much got eliminated from COVID. And mm. my first I tell people draw draw yourself in, on a piece of paper and then draw a circle around you and then put the five or six or 10 closest people to you. Then write out every single occupation that those people do. Are you interested in it? If you have a strong interest in one of those occupations, go talk to that person. And then the next step, if they're like, oh yeah, you know, this is, you could do this. You would, you know, they can help you lay out what education you would need. My biggest, biggest recommendation to anybody that doesn't know what they want to do, go out and find somebody that's doing a job that you're interested in and talk them into letting you do a job shadow for a half a day. I know it's Mm -hmm. been a little difficult with COVID, but hopefully with vaccinations coming and, you know, opening up to everybody that we can get back some type of normal. I have always asked people, can I come watch your job, how it's performed? Can I ask you questions? And don't just go in there and watch it. Have a list of questions before you go in and and do this job shadow and then ask questions as you are experiencing this job with them. I did this with my own daughter. She was interested in in a job or occupation in the medical field. She had an aunt that was doing this job. She called Mm -hmm. her aunt up. Yeah, she got to go. It was, you know, she got to go out and observe for an entire day. And it was wonderful. She's like, man, I really do think I want to do that. And it's it's extensive education. But to be able to lay eyes on the actual job and watch it for a full day was the most valuable thing she ever did. And it was my advice to her to do that. Today's episode is sponsored by Davis and Pingle a domestic relations litigation firm. For more than 40 years, Kansas City family lawyers Patrick M. Davis and Mandy Rowan Pingle have been dedicated to clients, working hard to settle conflicts for people who want to find a solution for their families, striving to provide compassionate representation for complicated custody battles, difficult asset division in divorce, and they specialize in military divorce. You may recall attorney Mandy Pingle first appeared on the Starting Over Stronger show in October 2020 to talk about the nuances of military divorce. The choice of an attorney should not be based on advertising alone, so if you're facing a tough family law matter in the greater Kansas City area, I recommend calling Davis and Pingle at 816-407-8702 or visit kcfamilylaw.net to find out more, chat with the team, or schedule a consultation. Please tell them you heard about them on Starting Over Stronger. Now back to the show. 
Yeah, and that's going to tell you a lot more about the reality of that a career in that industry than anything you find even on YouTube, you know, but that's just a place to start. I think it's a good recommendation. Um, the third tip that I have is to really polish the resume. Um, updating your resume, uh, be prepared uh, for resumes and cover letters to be your part-time or quite likely your full-time job for a while. It is really honestly kind of a full-time job to get a job and it's, uh, you know, nobody wants to do it. But when you don't like what's on your resume or how little there is on it, trying to puff it up is a painful insult to your self-worth. And so just because someone has been out of the workforce for years doesn't mean they haven't developed other marketable skills as a homemaker, a community volunteer, a part-time worker, a gig worker, you know, maybe some kind of a little entrepreneurial in, uh, endeavor that you've done. I bet most people have filled their time somehow uh, and used their skills somehow. Um, even if that's only childcare and childhood education, that's what you've been doing, right? So you update your resume to highlight any and all recent volunteer work, anything from your experiences as maybe a coach for a child's sports team or the secretary for the PTA or a leader of a church group or a com community service organization. Anything you've done is how you have spent your time. And I think all of these things show a potential employer that you have experience and you have skills that they are going to want in an employee and you know how to apply yourself to any situation, uh, especially if you were in any leadership positions, whether that's in your kids' schools, your church, your community or whatever. So Christine, how important is it that a resume is, you know, professionally written and polished and, and how does somebody go about making that happen when they're not a wordsmith themselves? Well, um, hiring a vocational expert, you can do that. You have, if you have other friends and family that are really, really good with, you know, IT skills, have them look at it. Do not be afraid to have at least my my rule of thumb: three people proof your resume, and make sure it's three people that actually have you know computer skills and and are, have been somewhat yeah. you know related to the workforce in the in the last you know decade. The other thing I was going to tell you, I have a friend that has worked in corporate and has done hiring, and she was honest. She said, "If I see a resume, she was in in the hiring process that has a typo." I typically throw in the trash. Mm -hmm. So you have to make it look right. You have to make yeah. it look polished. You you want to make it look attractive. And all of the suggestions that you just gave, I mean, don't, you are exactly right. Do not say that because I've been out of the workforce for 20 years, I have no skills. Because if you, let's say that you're, you're going to go try to get some type of entry level sales position. This is an example. And you have been doing a lot of fundraising and sales things for your kid's school, for your church, for other organizations. Those are what we call transferable skills. You can talk mm -hmm. about your, your, even if it was a volunteer effort, Hey, you know, I increased sales for the church or for my kid's school, or we had a, a goal of selling 500 and I sold all 500 and exceeded that and sold an additional 200. Those are the things that you can bring to the table in those interviews. It's a, and when I say tap into the, the inside of who you are and that re that fire, it's what you hear in my voice. I love what I do. I like helping people. I like finding 
answers for people. You have to find what drives you inside. And it's a scary, scary process. But if you have the courage to sit back, look at all the things that are going on in your life and make yourself the most important thing in this process, I think that anybody can do anything. Yeah, you are so right. I agree. One tip I've heard is that when you apply for jobs, you should actually adapt your resume for each application that you submit so that you can tailor it with keywords directly from the job description and write a cover letter also using as many of those keywords as you can. And the reason is because many companies do not even have a human as the first pass on the hundreds of resumes that they might receive for any job posting. So they may actually have a computer that is scanning and filtering down the number of resumes by using keyword matching. And then if it passes that, a human at some point is going to, you know, obviously review it and and make decisions from that point forward. But you want to get past those filters. And that actually, that recommendation comes from a book that I read when I completed my degree three years ago. And I think the title of the book was, What Does Somebody Have to Do to Get a Job Around Here? But I'm (laughs) going to find it on my shelf. And it had a really, it had a ton of really great tips in it. And I've actually even loaned it out to some of my clients. So I, I, no, I have it. I got it back, but I need to find it. And I'll post the title and the author of that book in, um, in the show notes for anybody that's interested in looking at it. But, um, you know, I think that's a really important thing to consider that, you know, you can't just make one resume and just blast it out everywhere. Um, it, it needs to be tailored for the job that you're applying for. That software is actually called, it's called ATS, Applicant Tracking Software. And, and you're mm-hmm. right, they, they throw the resumes in and then they look for keywords that are that align up to the essential functions that are listed out in the job posting and the job description, but also mm-hmm. taking it a step forward you know, think about this. If you are a hiring manager and you are looking at resumes, people need to understand that what they're trying to look for are people with what we call the transferable skills. They're skills that you've acquired from past work, past volunteer experience, you know, part-time jobs, anything that you've done that you've acquired skills, because when they transfer that to the the current job they're hiring for, it cuts down on the amount of training time. It cuts down on them having to teach acronyms and and helping them understand what the job entails. So, you know, there's a reason that they're they're putting it through that software. And I always tell people, you are 100% right. Do not be lazy and do the same resume over and over and over for every job. It's time consuming to go in and tweak your resume for each particular job. But then, you know, if you want the job, you have to do the work. Anything you're yeah. in anything you're going to do in this process, going through a divorce is hard. Trying to figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your life is hard. Walking mm-hmm. uphill in this struggle is going to be hard. And accepting right off the bat everything about this process is going to be hard. But once you accept the challenge and once you accept the work that is going to go into this, once you climb up on that top of that mountain, you get to see what's on the other side, you're going to be happier. You're going to say, you know what? Okay, I'm glad I did all this work because here is the payoff. This is where I want to be. And this is an opportunity for me to do something that maybe I've never done before. And I'm excited for the first time in 20 years. 
Mm-hmm. That gave me a visual of a meme that I saw all over the winter that said that you can complain about the snow or you can enjoy the beauty of the snow, but you're going to have snow either way. Exactly. I mean, it's- <laughs> and that's kind of how what you're saying, you know, this is happening. So embrace it. <laughs> you know, what's scarier to me than doing all of this hard work and going through a training program and, and you know, figuring out childcare and how am I going to do this? How am I? What's scarier to me is putting my entire life in the hands of a family law judge and hoping that they land on my side. Do you yeah. do you understand the gamble in that and not having some type of realistic plan and bringing it to the table? That scares me to death for anybody and I would never do that for myself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the last tip I think is the most important one, even though everything we've talked about is important, and that is network, network, network. Spread the word. The more friends and family and former coworkers and employers that know you're in the market for a job, the better. Most jobs are gained by word of mouth. Websites like LinkedIn and Facebook help both in connecting you with people who may have or know about a job that would work for you, but also in job listings by searching for specifics that pertain to your skills and desires. If you're a college graduate, you might even be able to contact your local alumni association or attend their events. Uh, Maybe your old college pals would have some good leads for you or put in a good word for you. Basically, the more people who know you're looking for work and what kind of work you're looking for, the more chances you are going to have of landing the perfect job for you. And when you know someone that's in that company, that's everything. You you need every advantage you can get over other candidates. So what other ideas do you have, Christine, for networking? Okay, so I'm glad you asked me that question because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just really break this down and simplify it into something that I think women tend to be so bad at doing. Do not be afraid to ask for help. I mean, it's it's as simple and as complex as that. There are multiple people in your lives. I know a lot of times when people go through a divorce, they feel like they're literally on an island or they're they're alone and they're afraid. Do not be afraid to ask for help. And I don't care who it is, your friends, your family, your pastor, you know, acquaintances, in any of the the job search process, you would be shocked to know how often people are so open to helping other people if you just ask. I mean, I've spent my entire career just asking questions. I mean, I was a curious child, I think, because I took that Mm -hmm. into my adult life. And I've just never been afraid to ask questions. I've never been afraid to try new things. I mean, every job, I wasn't a job hopper because I mean, I was at my first job for five years, my second job for seven, and I've been self-employed, you know, since 2010 in some capacity, but I've never been afraid to ask the people that were one step ahead of me in their career in the same type of industry for help. You know, what can I do to get where you're at? You know, what can I mm-hmm. do to, to go up that same path that you're on? What can I do? I want to earn that kind of money someday. Can you t- show me how? People love to help people like that, especially people who are successful. Here, And this is my best advice I can give if anybody remembers anything today. Look around in your personal life and find 
the most successful person that you know, and, and it may not even be in the occupation that you want to be in, and go talk to that person. Go find out from them, what did you do? I know you were successful. I know that, you know, you you handle things with your business and your life, and I admire you. You know, what advice do you have to give me? I have always spent my entire work career surrounding myself with people who knew more than me, and they loved to teach other people. And I learned from the best because I wasn't afraid to go directly to the top and ask them, I want to be like you, what can you do to teach me? And that's, yeah. that's how I've landed where I'm at now, because I've learned from the best because I asked them to teach me. That's good. That's really good. And it's true. If, if you think about it, how much do you, joy do you get out of helping someone? And then you turn around and try to do everything yourself and buckle down and don't give someone else the opportunity to do that. You're robbing them of a blessing and you're robbing yourself of a blessing because you can't do it alone. You can trudge through and be miserable and, and put yourself at a disadvantage. Sure. But you cannot do divorce well alone. No. And, and so it's, it, it really is about embracing all of the different ways that you need help. And, and that's what divorce coaching is all about is coming alongside a woman and helping her with all of the details that are overwhelming to her and connecting her with all of the right people for these types of decisions. And, and so it's, uh, you know, that's what today is all about is just getting this information yeah. to you, because I know there are so many people out there that need to know this. Is there anything else that you would like to share today that we haven't touched on? Um, I think one, one final maybe parting thought or, or you know, food for thought for anybody that going to listen to this. Remember that whether it's your personal life or your career or you're uncertain what you want to do, the most painful, uncomfortable situations that we will ever go through, and this this goes directly to employment and, and being lost and not knowing what to do, those are always the moments we grow the most. And if you have the courage to take that step forward and go into that unknown and go on that painful path of like, which, you know, what am I doing here? How do I do this? Putting your, your best foot forward and then putting the other foot forward and not stopping. Those are the moments you are going to grow. And that's where you find that self-confidence. And so I think that's the parting thought I want to give to your listeners is do not be afraid to take that step. It is much a much scarier place to stay put and not ever try. Absolutely. I just posted a meme today on my divorce coaching page about that very thing. And it said that you can either be pitiful or you can be powerful. You can't do both. You have to choose. And the choice is always yours. You know, we all have some things in our lives that suck. And every strong person, you know, including you has learned in some capacity to turn the struggles of today into tomorrow's strength. So you have to look at your challenges straight in the eye, smile them down. And when you do, you begin to learn how powerful you are and all of those feelings of pity go away. So thank you again, uh, Christina, for joining us, sharing your story and your incredible insight with us. I feel as I so often do that we've only begun to scratch the surface here. And I know we're going to be digging a little deeper very soon on this or a related subject with your business partner and fellow vocational consultant, Stella Frank, uh, coming up soon in the weeks to come. And I think what we're going to do is probably kind of just go at it from a more of a how to find substantive employment step by step kind of thing. Unless you have another idea of something you think that we should launch from what we touched on today. No, look, you're, you're in great hands with 
with Stella. She's she's one of those people that I when, when I told you that I've always surrounded myself with highly intelligent, highly capable, highly mm-hmm. skilled people. She is somebody that has mentored me most of my career. She is the best of the best in the how-to. So I think that your path that you're going to take with her as far as kind of getting down more in the weeds of, you know, suggestions and, and her processes and methodologies, there's nobody better than her. She's wonderful. She's a kind woman. She's mm-hmm. been through a lot herself and her ability to reach out and help people. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to be a part of. And I think that your listeners will really feel that when you interview her. Yeah, I'm sure they will. And we will definitely land on a good subject that will bless the listeners. And you can watch for Stella's visit to the show for more on this important subject in a few weeks. Thanks again for being here, Christine. Listeners, I hope this has blessed you today on your divorce journey. There is a lot to digest here. And uh, hopefully you took good notes. If not, listen again. As always, if you need help as you divorce, please reach out. I would love to personally introduce you to Christine. You can email me at Annie at startingoverstronger.com for that or more about divorce coaching, divorce real estate consulting to help fully inform the many big decisions of your divorce. Thank you for tuning in with us each week and join us again next week for more help as you divorce and hope as you are starting over stronger.